0: here we are again for another episode of the call sheet this is your host kevin smith happy to be with you as the week four games from the nfl season are in the books and there's an awful lot to talk about and we're going to get right to it Quick introduction, I'm your host, uh, podcaster here at the Fans First Sports Network, writer for the Steel Curtain Network, podcast contributor there as well, high school teacher and football coach in Ocean City, New Jersey, been doing that for 30 years, I can't believe it's been 30 years, and really excited to have the opportunity to do something new, man. This This is the 25th episode of the call sheet. I've been doing this now for about half a year uh and writing and contributing for various blog sites for three or four years and it's nice to really be able to share my love of the game of football with everybody so hope you guys enjoy the show uh i, I mentioned week four games are in the books I, I took a quick look at the standings before i came on there's two four and O teams in the league san francisco and philly there's two oh and four teams chicago and carolina all those teams are in the nfc while in the afc every single team is bunched. Somewhere between one and three and three and one. The dreaded word that the NFL seems to love, but I'm not so sure if older fans like myself do. And that word is parody. I can remember the NFL back to a time where there were really, really good teams, dynasty type teams. When I was a a kid, I fell in love with the Pittsburgh Steelers because I was little and they were the best. Right. And so you were a little front running bandwagoning going on as a little kid there. And I've remained a Steelers fan my whole life, but the Steelers were were a dynasty in the 70s. And then you had the 49ers in the 80s and the Cowboys on a little dynasty run there in the 90s and the Patriots in the early 2000s. And, you know, you had awful teams too. I remember when the New Orleans Saints were the Aints and their fans were wearing bags over their heads because they were they were so embarrassed. I remember the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they came into the league They lost their first 26 games and head coach John McVay was famously asked, what what do you think about the execution of your team? And he said, I'm in favor of it. One of the great quotes from a head coach of all time. So I don't know how much I, I love parody, but it it gives you, it gives your team a shot, right? It gives your team a shot. So I'm a Steelers fan. They're two and two, but they really look like a bad football team. They don't look like a two and two team. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but they still have hope if they win their game at home this weekend where they host the Baltimore Ravens, they will be in first place in the AFC North. And my goodness, they do not look like a first place team. So maybe the NFL is getting what it wants with all this parody. Okay. This is episode 25 of the call sheet. A little, little tradition I've got going on here is to, to name the number or recognize the number of the episode, and then talk briefly about a player who wore that number. And so when I talk about number 25, I think the player, the modern player who maybe comes to mind immediately is Richard Sherman, who's a really interesting guy. And I was tempted to talk about Richard Sherman, but I'm going to go a little further back and talk about the great Freddie Bolitnikoff. Now, for, for younger fans, you may not know that name, or maybe if you do know it, it may be because of an attachment to an award, the Fred Bolitnikoff Award, which is given annually to the nation's best college wide receiver. And it's named after Fred Blitnikoff, who was a remarkable wide receiver for the then Oakland Raiders in the 1960s and 70s. Blitnikoff played 14 years in the NFL, went to seven Pro Bowls, uh, had 76 career touchdowns, won a Super Bowl with the Raiders in 1976. He was actually the MVP of that game and was uh, named to the Hall of Fame in 1988 and also the College Football Hall of Fame. In 1991. And that's really where the Fred Bolitnikoff award comes from. Bolitnikoff was an All-American wide receiver at Florida State. But when I think of Freddie Bolitnikoff, and I really kind of go back to my childhood memories, because this is the era when I was a little kid, when I first was watching football. And Bolitnikoff's Raiders and the Steelers that I had fallen in love with were big rivals. And I disliked the Raiders. The only team I disliked more were, were the Cowboys, but that was just the times, right? That was, that was how it was when you were growing up in that age. But I, but there was something about the Raiders that really, why well, you disliked them because of this heated rivalry they had with the Steelers. That was just so likable. They were just such a tough and unruly and unkempt, you know, John Madden's team, right? You, you picture John Madden and, you, and then picture what you think his football team looked like. And it looked just like that. They had crazy characters like Lyle Alzado and John Matuzak. And they had the scrappy Kenny Stabler at quarterback, and Lester Hayes, the corner, who uh, egregiously violated the league's rule on stick'em, which he had smeared all over his his body. For those of you who don't know know what stick'em was, it was this it was like a glue almost, this sort of like yellowish brownish colored like goop that you could smear on your hands and your wrists and whatever, and it would it would help you hold on to stuff like uh, the res- shirts of receivers and the football. And eventually it was outlawed by the NFL. But Freddie Blitnikoff, he'd have that stickum smeared all over himself as well. And he had kind of shaggy long hair and a goofy 70s mustache. And he was not the fastest guy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But boy, he ran beautiful routes, absolutely beautiful routes. And he caught everything. I mean, I don't think there's a pass Freddie Blitnikoff couldn't catch. Uh, and he did it basically with like a cigarette dangling out, out of his mouth. (laughs) Fred Bolitnikoff was playing in the era where you could go to the sideline and light up a smoke, uh, either on the sideline or, or in the locker room at halftime. And there were lots of photographs when I was a kid of Fred Bolitnikoff smoking cigarettes on the sideline and then kind of going back onto the field and catching balls. I mean, it's just really remarkable how much the, the game has changed. Uh, but you know, I, a, a More of a somber note, but also a poignant one about Fred Bolitnikoff. So after his career ended, he did a year in, this, in the Canadian Football League, interestingly. Went and played for the Montreal Alouettes for a year. And then he retired uh, in, the, in the 1980s and, and became a coach. Coached at the high school level and then the college level. And then he was the wide receivers coach for the Raiders for the better part of 16 seasons. But tragically, in, in 2012, his daughter, Tracy, was, was murdered. Um, in uh, in an event where where her her then boyfriend strangled her to death in a dispute over drugs. And it's a terribly sad story. And of course, it was absolutely horrific for Fred Bolitnikoff, who expressed his grief very publicly, but he went on to found in 2015 uh, a shelter for abused women, women of domestic violence, women with, Drug addiction issues called Tracy's Place of Hope and and did so in the name of his daughter and and ran that that clinic for a while and it still is in existence today. Uh, Freddie Blitnikoff is still alive at 80 years old. And, you know, he's turned that tragedy in his own life into something very, very positive for other women who were in a similar situation to his daughters. So, in honor of episode number 25 of the call sheet a shout out to the great fred balitnikov who was a character on the field and a man of great principle off the field okay so moving on now we'll talk a little bit about some of the some of the week 4 action and this you know this is a show about about coaching it's it's titled the call sheet which for those who are familiar uh, or those who are not uh, is is the the sheet that coaches tend to use on the sideline where they've got depending on who the coaches are an air raid guy he might have he might have a half a dozen plays written down or uh Andy Reid, who's got the late night Denny's menu with like triple fold out sections etc and and i just think it's an appropriate name for a show that likes to talk about coaching decisions and if we're going to talk about week 4 we got to talk about Brandon Staley, and I brought Brandon Staley up two weeks ago. And so I'm not trying to be redundant, but it's really hard not to to bring him up again because Brandon Staley, and we mentioned this again two weeks ago, when uh, in their their game against Minnesota with the ball on his own 24-yard line on fourth and one with just under two minutes left, and the Chargers leading the Minnesota Vikings by four points, he went for it. He went for it. And he didn't make it. They ran a dive into the middle of the line, and they didn't get it. And it really put his defense in a bad spot. But the defense responded, and they got an interception in the end zone in the final seconds to hold on and win that football game, 28-24. And, of course, Staley was lambasted by the media and pundits and people like myself. And, you know, everybody said, like, oh, what's he thinking, right? And then this past Sunday, he did it again. He did it again. This time. The Chargers led the Las Vegas Raiders 24-17 to with just over three minutes to play. So not quite as extreme a situation as it was the week before. But still, you're up a touchdown. There's three minutes to play. And this time they had the ball fourth and one on their own 34. And you would think, most people would think, that given the way the previous week had transpired, that Brandon Staley would punt the football. But he did not because why because brandon staley doesn't care if you think that he's a moron right i had plenty of people say to me to t- who like to talk to me me about coaching or who've listened to this podcast and just say like what's up with, what was staley thinking man what 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 was going on there and i you know i just said i think he's a metrics guy right he he really looks at the metrics and and one of my friends was like met, metrics or not he's a moron right so okay you can call him that if you want and, and you would probably be in the vocal majority if you did so. But Brandon Staley is married to his metrics, and he doesn't care if you think he's a moron. I think that's very evident right now. And when I say he's married to his metrics, the numbers in those situations, fourth and one, say, go for it. The numbers say, go for it. And the reason they do is because over the past three years on fourth and one situations in the NFL offenses that have gone for it regardless of the field position whether they, it could be it could be as far back as their own 15 yard line technically their own they could be as far back as their own 10yard line or, or you know or they could be all the way down to the opponent's goal line whatever but those who have gone for it have made it have been successful converted that down 76 percent of the time and my suspicion is that Brandon staley looks at his chargers defense which is not particularly good and he looks at those numbers and he says I think I can end the football game right now and he trusts his offense a whole lot more than he trusts his defense and he believes that a conversion there saves him the I guess what's in his mind as the the more troublesome scenario of his defense having to get a stop now in both of these situations his defense did get a stop right they bailed him out because they got the end interception against Minnesota and against the Raiders, they got an interception just short of the goal line that really sealed the deal. So, so he's 2-0 in those situations. Brandon Staley has gone for it in both of those late-game situations, and he's won in both of those games. And the interesting thing is this is not new for him, man. This is what he does and has been doing now for a while. And if you think back over the last couple of years, go back to last year, 2022, in Week 12 against the Cardinals, he went for two while down one point to end the game. Game ends, uh, regulation runs out with a Chargers scoring on the last of regulation. They're now down one. and They can kick the extra point and go to overtime. He goes for two, and he gets it, and they win, right? In week five against the Browns, end of the game, late in the game, he goes for it from his own 45 up just two. In week four against the Texans, he goes for it again from his own 45, midway through the fourth quarter, up three. You can go back to 2021. There's several examples of it. In, in week five of 2021, he, he went for it four different times on fourth down. In week nine against the Eagles, he went for it on fourth down while tied in the fourth quarter. He did this, a similar thing against the Steelers that year. I mean, there's about 10 examples where Brandon Staley has made the decision to go for it in these situations. And guess what? In every single one of those games, the Chargers have won. And I'm not defending him. I'm not defending him because I don't agree with the calls. I mean, I, I'm, if I'm talking personally, I'm punting the ball in that situation because I don't think that it's a smart coaching decision to put your defense in a situation where they have to bail you out from the 24-yard line. All right, if we're out at midfield, I get it. If we're out at midfield and I, and, and I feel as though the defense in 90 seconds can hold up, having to defend half the football field. That's a different conversation, but deep in our own territory. No, that's not something that I'd be willing to do. And I don't think that that's something that most coaches would be willing to do. We would play the traditional card, so to speak. And you know why it's traditional because it works, you know, people traditions get preserved because they're successful. So I would not go there, but Brandon Staley has. And he's done so against this cacophony of criticism and it's pretty impressive. If we're just being honest about it, it's pretty impressive that given the, the sheer number of times he's taken these big gambles that it's worked out for him. He has won again, all of those games. I just I just cited about seven or eight examples. There's a few more. He's, he's won all those games where he's been aggressive with his offense in the fourth quarter, despite the fact that the safe play is to punt the ball and it's worked out. So Brandon Staley may end up inevitably getting fired by the Chargers because they seem to be an underachieving team. I mean, they if you think back to last year, they blew that 27 nothing playoff lead against Jacksonville and lost that game to the Jags. And and that just led to a huge outcry for his job. How can how can they let that happen? How can they give that lead up? And and they did some dumb things in that game, like continually snapping the ball with 14, 15 seconds left on the play clock and, and just not, uh, you know, just not choosing to, to run the ball enough, continuing to throw it, et cetera. And it's carried over into this year with these risky moves. And, and, and inevitably people may look at the chargers and say, man, he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. They should be better than they are. And he might get canned, but I don't think he's going to get fired because of these decisions. I think that ownership understands this is his philosophy and I think they must be okay with it. If they weren't, they'd probably tell them, you know, Hey buddy, <laughs> you need to play it differently in these end game scenarios. So Brandon Staley, man, America's favorite, uh, favorite coach to bash right now. And I get why he's being bashed, but I think that there's another side of the story and we're happy to talk about it here on the call sheet. Okay. So we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, there's another embattled coach who deserves our attention. And we're going to talk about Pittsburgh's Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator uh, who has really drawn the ire of Steelers fans and has also been noticed now nationally as as people weigh in on him across the broader NFL spectrum. And we will also check in with my buddy Pez. Pez will not be here live, but Pez has been making picks for us since the season started. And if you've been betting, if you've been betting Pez's picks, you're cleaning up right now. He had another good week, a 3 in 1 week last week. And he's raised his overall record betting against the spread to 14 5 and 1. That is darn impressive. And he's got some he's got some thought-provoking picks this week. If he wins this week, I'm going to think something's up because uh, I'm going to think I'm going to start thinking that maybe he's got an inside guy because yeah, he's going out on a limb this week. So, you don't want to miss that. So come back after the break. Welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you talking about some of the week Four action and looking ahead to week five here in the second segment of the show. And we we were called before the break. We were talking about coaching decisions and specifically some of the decisions being made by Brandon Staley with the Los Angeles Chargers. And now as we're past the quarter point of the NFL season, you begin to think about think a little bit about change what teams need to make changes, what teams might make some changes, whether it's personnel, talking about what quarterbacks might get benched. That's always a popular topic. But you also get to the time of year where it's now within the realm of possibility that coaches could get fired. And amongst head coaches, the the name that's starting to come up a little bit is Matt Eberflus in in Chicago. The Bears are 0-4. They lost another game this past week where they had a lead gave up a big second half comeback. They've now lost, I believe it's 15 games in a row, 14 or 15. Interestingly, they they have not won a game since they traded for wide receiver Chase Claypool of the Pittsburgh Steelers gave away what turned out to be the, the first pick in the second round of the draft. The Steelers selected corner Joey Porter Jr. with that pick and Claypool went to the Bears. And Chase Claypool has uh, not only never won a game in Chicago, or and the Bears have not won with Claypool, but he's now been temporarily removed from the team. That situation is deteriorating fast. And you have to you have to ask, will Matt Eberflus survive, not simply the entire season, will he, will he survive the first half of the season? And that'll be interesting to watch. But the team we just mentioned, the one that the Bears were engaged in, in that trade for Claypool with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've got their own sort of clock ticking on one of their coaches. And no, it's it's not head coach Mike Tomlin, who is now in his 16th season in Pittsburgh. And I don't think that Mike Tomlin has a lifetime contract. I don't think he's got a deal where he can just say to the Steelers, hey, I'll let you know when I'm done. As a matter of fact, this week after Pittsburgh's ugly 30-6 to loss to the Houston Texans, for the first time I've started to hear some people begin to wonder if maybe the Rooney family could be thinking about replacing Mike Tomlin. And that's probably not going to happen anytime this season, but you never know, right? You never know. The Steelers are are in some trouble right now. They looked they looked awful on Sunday. But the real attention is on their offensive coordinator Matt Canada. And and that's an interesting discussion that we'll have briefly as we talk about team culture. And, and how certain teams choose to do business. As most people know, the Pittsburgh Steelers don't fire their head coaches. Right? I'm 53 years old. And in my time here on earth, the Pittsburgh Steelers have had three head coaches. Three head coaches. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, and Mike Tomlin. That's it. Three head coaches since 1970. I mean, there's, there are franchises that have had more than three head coaches this decade, and we're only in three years into the decade. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many head coaches the Cleveland Browns, for example, have had over the past 10 to 12 years, or, or in the Mike Tomlin era, which is now in year 16. The Steelers, they really value stability, and they believe that you kind of push through the tough times, and that continuity is more important than quick changes and they also believe that when you hire a coach not a head coach but a, but a coordinator or or even a position coach that you don't you don't fire that guy midseason you you don't in essence pay that person to not coach for you the Steelers are renowned for moving on from coaches after their contracts expire as opposed to firing them as from an off- offensive coordinator standpoint. They did that with Todd Haley when his contract ran out after the 2017 season. They didn't fire him, despite the fact that he and Ben Roethlisberger uh, did not get along well at all. And, and, and it seems like Roethlisberger may have put some pressure on the organization to get rid of Haley, but they sort of, they let him finish. They let him finish his contract and then they didn't rehire him. In his place, they then hired Randy Fickner, who was the Steelers quarterback's coach at the time. And when Fiechner's contract expired after the 2020 season, they did something similar. And there were there were many cries for Randy Fiechner to be dismissed from, of course, fans and even, even rumblings within the organization. But they don't fire coaches during the middle of their contract. It's just a principle that the Steelers hold dear. But that principle is really going to be challenged. When it comes to Matt Canada, so Matt Canada, when he was hired by the Steelers in 2021, was a longtime college coach who had never coached in the NFL, and he was renowned for being very innovative when it came to things like pre-snap motion, uh, and and a lot of the smoke and mirrors that teams do to try to protect their core plays because. At his heart, Matt Canada wants to kind of run the ball downhill at teams, and and there's only so many ways that you can do that. But if you if you if you move your guys around enough, your personnel around enough before the snap, and if you get into enough formations, you might be able to trick teams into uh, compromising their gap integrity or their run fits or something along those lines. So Canada came to Pittsburgh as a guy who'd made a, pr- a pretty good reputation for himself as an innovator in college, but he had a mixed record. He'd been he'd been dismissed from several programs, most famously in 2018 when he was fired uh, early in the season by LSU's Ed Orgeron over major philosophical differences. And he came to the Steelers, and there was a lot of talk about what would Canada's offense look like, that it was going to be motion-based with a lot of play action and RPOs and More of a modern offense. And would Ben Roethlisberger, who was in the twilight of his career, would he be able to fit in that offense? And so in in 2020, under Randy Featner, the Steelers had averaged 26.2 points per game, which was top 10 in the NFL. And in 2021, Canada's first year, that dropped by almost a full touchdown. That dropped down to 20 points per game. And there was a lot of defending of Canada, including from myself, who believed that Roethlisberger was a bad fit and that the Steelers needed to get someone in there who could run, quote-unquote, his offense. And so they drafted Kenny Pickett uh, in 2022, and Pickett was implemented into the starting lineup after week four, and the Steelers' offense wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. They actually reduced their points per game average, again, dropping from 20 per game in 2021 to 18 per game in 2022. But the thought was, hey, Pickett's young and developing, and he's got some young talent around him. You need to give him time. The Steelers ended up going seven and two down the stretch last year. Pickett looked pretty good in those games. Uh, and the thought was, hey, 2023, this will be the year. This will be the year the Steelers' offense really takes off. Pickett in his second year, his young playmakers like Pat Frymeruth and George Pickens and Najee Harris and those guys, they're all, they're all a year wiser. And, you know, here we go. The Steelers are going to be pretty good on offense. Well, here we are. We're four games in, four games into the 2023 season. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are averaging 12 points a game. 12 points a game. That is 31st in the NFL behind only the perplexing Cincinnati Bengals, who are averaging 10 and a half points per game. And there is, I don't want to say a mutiny right now in Pittsburgh against the Matt Canada offense, but you're starting to hear the players grumble publicly. Some of them a little bit more forthright than others. Uh, Some of them are contexting their comments uh, in in a veiled language, talking like politicians. Mitchell Trubisky, who who will probably quarterback the Steelers this week when they play Baltimore because Kenny Pickett injured his knee in that Houston game, said after the game, uh, no matter what call comes into the huddle, the players have to execute it. Those weren't his exact words. I can't remember how he said it exactly, but that was the gist of it. Whatever play call comes in, uh, it's up to us to execute it. And when, you, when you, you think about the way he said it, you can almost hear the, the shot, the veiled shot at, at the offensive coordinator, whatever play comes in, right? Uh, we might not agree with it, but we got to run it. It's on us at that point. And there's been a lot of that, an awful lot of that. So the numbers don't speak for themselves. Uh, or I, should, I should say, do speak for themselves. And, and the players seem to be, uh, if not mutining against Canada then clearly interested in moving on from him. Kenny Pickett, one more example quickly, expressed incredible frustration in the offseason over the fact that the Steelers don't let, Canada doesn't let Pickett audible out of plays, that the Steelers have to run whatever's been called, which is a very antiquated way of thinking. So, okay, so the question is this, will, will they move on? Will Pittsburgh move on? And that's fascinating because of, the issue I've st- begun this conversation with, the stability in Pittsburgh and the fact that they just tend not to do so. If I were a betting man, we're going to talk about betting in my boy Pez in a minute. But if I were a betting man, I would I would guess that they will not that the Steelers will not move on from Matt Canada, that they will allow this season to play out. Canada is in the last year of his contract and they will simply not rehire him as they have done with their last two offensive coordinators and several other coaches in the recent past, that the, that the Steelers will essentially ride it out with Matt Canada. And in an AFC North that many people thought would be one of the best divisions in football, but right now looks kind of up for grabs, right? You have the Cleveland Browns who are probably mediocre. Pittsburgh's already beaten them. That's one of their two wins. You have the Bengals, who are one and three, and just—I mean—very a confounding football team. They cannot get it together on offense, and this is just two years after a Super Bowl run where their young offensive core looked dynamic. And then you have the Ravens, right now at the top of the division at three and one, uh, a team that looks pretty strong and looks like the class of the division. But the, the Ravens have their holes as well. And the Steelers host the Ravens this week. And if Pittsburgh wins, as I said previously, they'll be in first place in the AFC North. That seems mind-boggling. But it's a year where the AFC North is could be up for the grabs and the Steelers may consign themselves to another mediocre, if that, finish because they're unwilling to part ways with Canada. And so while I'm a big believer in tradition and a big supporter in the way that the Steelers do business, the argument for keeping Canada is becoming tougher and tougher. And the Steelers may have to confront some uncomfortable realities about themselves and their process. And if they if they want to win, if they want to win football games, they may just have to, for the sake of a fresh start, of a clearing of the air, of, of essentially saying to the players that we hear you, they may have to move on. And I don't think it will happen but they may have to, and it'll be very interesting to see. Will it be Matt Canada or Matt Eberflus? Which of the mats will be showing the door first? All right, let's move on to our final segment of the show here. And our final segment of the show, we're going to revisit my buddy Pez, who was on the show last week, giving us his Pez's picks. And he's been picking games for us each week so far in the NFL season. And, he was 11 and 4, 11 4 and 1 actually heading into this past week and he went 4 and 1 in the 5 games he picked for us on the show last week picking games against the spread to run his record now I'm sorry he went 3 and 1 to run his record now to 14 5 and 1. He he wants me to tell everybody that he really went 4 and 1 because he he predicted on the show last week that Europe would defeat the United States in the Ryder Cup in golf, which they did but Sorry, Pez, in good faith, man, I can't give you credit for that on an NFL show. So 14-5-1, just for some perspective, I was looking at some of the national guys, right? CBS CBS Sports has their spread guy uh, picking games. He's around 500. The Ringer, uh, I think they have Shil Capodio picking games for the Ringer. He might be the Athletic, one of them. But the Ringer's guy is around 500. The guy picking games for the Athletic. He's around, his winning percentage is around 35% right now, picking games against the spread. Pez is 14, 5 and 1. 14, 5 and 1. That's better than 70%. So you're getting a guy here on the call sheet who's picking games at a 70% clip. And what's, what, what, what'll be really interesting for me will be if, if this week's picks pan out. So I'm going to give you Pez's picks. I'm going to give you his picks for the week. Uh, Get a pen, get a pen, write them down, man. He's been making people money. I have one buddy. I got one friend who's been betting him every week, and he's like, you know, up up a few hundred bucks. So you know, disclaimer: if you lose money, please don't come looking for me. I will I will throw Pez under the bus immediately. But okay, here's what he's got. He's got five games for us this week. He's got he's got the Buffalo Bills over Jacksonville in London right now. Right now, the Bills are a five and a half point favorite. That line could move a little bit. Uh, Jacksonville's coming off an impressive. London win last week over the Falcons. Jacksonville plays well in London. They they kind of know the drill. They've done this several times now. They've acclimated to the travel. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Bills can, can handle something similar, right? I mean, Buffalo looked like world beaters against Miami last week. They've been really awesome since losing their opening game to the Jets. Uh, it'll be really, really interesting to see if the Bills can conquer London, so to speak. Pez has got Tennessee over Indy. The Tennessee's getting a point right now. It's basically a pick All right, on to his, on to Pez's third pick. He's got new England over new Orleans at home. Uh, right now, the, the Pats are given a point and a half and new England's coming off of the worst loss in the bill Belichick era, 38 to three shellacking at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys. So it will be very interesting to see if they can rebound. If bill Belichick still has some of that old magic in him. Pez's fourth pick, he's got Philadelphia over the Rams in L.A. Eagles are given four and a half. The Eagles are one of the two undefeated teams in the NFL. They've struggled in a couple of their games, though. Their defense has got some issues, particularly in the secondaries. To be interesting to see how Matthew Stafford and the Sean McVay offense fare against Philly as Philly has to travel out to the West Coast. And then in maybe the most provocative pick in all the, all the games Pez has given us so far, the most provocative pick, He has the Dallas Cowboys getting three and a half points, going to San Francisco on Sunday night football and covering the spread in that contest. And that will be fascinating to see because for me, San Francisco is the best team in the NFL right now. If I were doing my power rankings, which, which people like to do, I would put San Francisco at the top. I think they're the most complete team in the league. I think what they do up front on both sides of the ball makes them different. And the Cowboys are an up and down team, Man, they've looked great on some weeks. And then they had that stinker in week three. And so it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, will the Cowboys be able to go into San Francisco and cover a three and a half point spread or even win the football game? And that'll be, that'll be for me, must watch, must see TV. So Bill's, Titans, Patriots, Eagles, Cowboys, Pez's he picks. He's 14, 5, and 1. And we'll see what he does in week five. So it should be a it should be a fascinating week five, man. The season feels that feels like it's starting to go fast. When you hit October, everything just really seems to accelerate. And so can't wait to see the results. Can't wait to have an interesting conversation with everybody next week as we hit episode 26 of the call sheet. So I hope everybody has a great week out there and I will catch you a week from now. All right, take care everyone.